Welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm here with Todd. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about how to descend better. Um, I think this is an important skill to take on your bike, you know, for, certainly for your performance, but also for safety. Uh, you, you know, staying upright at speed is important because going down at speed is not fun. Going down at all isn't fun, but uh, as we say at the end of every podcast, keep the rubber side down, particularly at speed, uh, particularly when you're descending. It's very important. And so this is uh, part of our sort of mini series of how to get better at things that you're not quite uh, 100% on. So we've already done sprinting and now we're doing descending. So, I mean, I think the, the basic principle I always think about with descending, uh, it goes back to physics and friction and what your tires can do. So, you know, your, your tires can only provide so much friction. Uh, so what does friction do for you? It's either going to propel you forward, it's going to slow you down, or it's going to allow you to, to turn a corner. And you can't do, you can, you can do these things simultaneously, but you can't do them 100% simultaneously, right? If you're braking and cornering, your ability to corner is diminished by your ability to brake, or because otherwise you're going to top out the amount of friction that your tire can produce against the pavement or the trail, uh, and then you're going to lose traction and the rubber side will no longer be down. Right. So the thing you're you know you're saying that the thing we should be worried about is the bike sort of wiping out underneath of us, and that is when you know the required friction to stay on the road is higher than the friction that can be maintained by the tire correct so um i think that's uh maybe not what i think that a lot of people who crash almost don't approach the true friction value a lot of it has to do with technique and also commitment there's there's a lot that goes into descending not just um you know did i overcome the the maximum friction that my tires can handle that's fair, right? And I think you certainly your position on your bike matters there. You know, when you're braking in the corner matters there. Uh, what's the surface that you're working with? All, all these factors matter. So I think let's just dive in and we'll, we'll sort of uh, pick them apart one at a time. Sure. Uh, and I'm going to avoid descending in a straight line. Uh, I think that's interesting, but we, I think we also covered this on a prior episode when you're talking about, well, what's the fastest position to descend in a straight line? So if you want to talk about that, you can go back to the, the prior episode. The you know, TLDR is it's a goofy position where you've got your butt tucked under your seat and you're, you're really low down to your stem. Probably not the most ergonomic. And it, it probably takes some doing to get in and out of. Highly recommend yep. if you're going to do that, you practice it quite a bit. And there's um, you know, some trade-offs with the different positions about control. And um, you, know, you don't want to crash in a straight line either, which is possible in some of those positions. So... Uh, we want to focus on cornering, basically, or more technical uh, descending. And uh, I think we even mentioned this in the other uh, episode that this is where you get time. If you're trying to descend and catch someone or get away from someone, it comes from the corners. It comes from the more technical stuff and how fast can you do it and how fast can you go without crashing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've, I've joked with friends, so, you know, the brakes only slow you down. And that it is true to a certain degree that yes, you do need to slow down and control your speed through a corner. But at the end of the day, the the best cornering is using the the least amount of brake possible. Right? You're trying to conserve your speed for two reasons. One, you don't want to slow down and enter the corner slow because then you have to accelerate. You have to expend energy to get back up to speed. So you know, in a in a perfect world, you slow down as little as possible going to that corner and. If you can try to exit that corner with greater velocity, 
than you entered it, if, if possible, or with the minimum loss of velocity as you're going through a corner. So just as like a, an overarching principle, right? And so part of that is breaking is, uh, is problematic if you do too much of it in that situation. Yep. And so if you want to be kind of nerdy about it, um, you know, the integral of speed is position. So if you think about reducing your speed on an XY plot, if your speed goes down in the Y axis and the time it takes for it to go down and the time for it to takes up to go back up to your original speed is a a loss of volume or, or of area underneath of that curve. So, you know, if you, if you want to math it out, basically dropping your speed, uh, will, decrease the total distance you've gone which you know your goal is to get to the bottom you know as fast as possible right or whatever cover cover the assigned distance faster than the the next person so if you want to you know i sometimes i think putting you know bicycles have some pretty simple you know speed acceleration these things are kind of simple laws um it's sort of high school physics stuff so um sometimes it's nice to think about it in terms of these um you know overarching themes of speed and um, at the end of the day, yeah, you want to maximize your speed, but, um, you know, how do you do that? I think that, uh, one thing that was really helpful was looking at how F1 drivers, they're recommended to corner. So, um, the other thing I was going to say is that I think cornering and descending for me is very similar to cornering and crits, um, which I think some people really think they're different, but, uh, to me, they feel like very, very similar. Yeah. And I, I would totally agree with you. I think cornering cornering is cornering to me and i think there's a a spectrum of cornering right so on one end of the spectrum is riding on the track you you are turning right but essentially you're riding your bike in a straight line and the bank is taking care of you and you you, it's forcing you to turn and you know on the on the other end of the spectrum depending on how crazy we get right is on the road is something like uh you know an off-camber corner that has a pothole in it that sort of constrains how you can go through the corner and then, you know, on some extreme end is like some crazy mountain bike switchback that's rocky and rooty and there's like slimy mud on it. And that really constrains how you handle that corner. Um, and so, you know, everything in between these extremes is sort of a adjustment of your skills, right? And I think you, you could think about it as a spectrum of skill, right? The crazier that corner is, the more skill it requires of the rider to be able to go through it with speed and competently Um, Mm. and right. Like presumably anyone who can ride a bike can ride close to their maximum velocity through the corner on the track. They just go. Right. And I think that the other thing is, uh, you know, even in something like the Tour de France, there will be descents, there will be descents into the finish, but if they're non-technical, there's no time gain or loss. It's Mm -hmm. really the technical side and the more technical, the more opportunities to gain time. So those are actually the ones that a lot of fans are really excited to watch are the more technical ones. And um, sometimes they're too technical and then people complain, but um, those are, those are also the ones that are likely to cause crashes. Right. right. Because the riders are, um, well, some are actually less competent than you'd think in descending, which is um, really interesting that maybe they spend too much time going up the hills and um, not enough time focusing on the descents. Although, don't you, if you go up, don't you have to go back? Well, there's down? a difference between, right, and this is something that is true for all, like getting good at anything. There's a difference between doing and dedicated practice. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing your interval, it's a lot different than if you're doing dedicated practice of that interval. You're really focusing on hitting the numbers. Same thing with descending. You've just yep. done your 20 minute interval. Are you going to just do the descent or are you really going to focus on that descent? 
the answer is probably you're just gonna do it you're not gonna... you're, you're just getting down the hill to yeah. get back to where you need to go or... and you're gassed and your mouth is just hanging open the whole you know descent because you're toast from your interval that's that's likely what a lot of these top riders are doing although i think i would argue that that's exactly the time for some dedicated practice of your descending yeah. right because if you're going to be in a race situation you're probably going to be gassed going over the top of that hill and you probably need to pin it on the descent if you want to maintain your position improve your position you know make a winning move whatever whatever it is and what better way to practice than in the situation that's similar to what you likely face in a, a racing situation right so let's talk about um back to this sort of f1 cornering idea um they always say break before the corner mm-hmm. uh, hit the apex and come out with speed yep and the big things there are braking first so you want to get off your brakes as soon as it's time to turn and uh, basically the speed that you enter the corner is the speed that you've broke to if it's a corner that requires braking the hit the apex part is uh, following the out outside inside outside rule so you start on the outside of the corner you touch the inside and you go back to the outside. I mean, obviously, you don't touch the inner curb, but, you know, you basically... Yeah, well, you're trying to make the straightest line possible through the corner. You're trying to make the shortest path. Um, no, it's not always the shortest path. It's the um, it's the largest uh, instantaneous angle of curvature. Straightest line. <laughs> so, yes, you're trying to minimize the, the angle of the curve. And right. um, so on a circle, you have a constant angle throughout the path of that mm-hmm. circle. If you have an ellipse, you have... a different angle as you move throughout that curve so the idea is you want to be on the you know the less tight portion of the ellipse if if your path is non-circular correct yeah it's straightest line through the yeah corner if if you can and and the whole idea behind that is you want to minimize the friction force so Mm -hmm. the less um angular so acceleration is both a change in speed, but it's also a change in direction. So if you try and stay on as straightest line as possible, you have less change of direction, you have less acceleration. Acceleration is proportional to force. So when you have less acceleration, you have less force. Remember, too much force is what makes us wipe out. So, you know, you follow the, the lines, basically, you want to stay as straight as possible. That minimizes the force on your tires. Well, and we're, we're talking about acceleration in the physics sense here right not and that that's both positive and negative yeah um right so when you're cornering some of that acceleration is actually causing you to reduce your speed mm-hmm. right so it's a negative acceleration right so braking is, call it, is braking a, is a negative it's ex- an acceleration but the 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 value is would is, be below is zero. negative yep yeah exactly so that's uh outside inside outside and then the last step is like getting right back on the uh, on the gas as yes. soon as you can. Yeah, and that's you know obviously conditional, right? If it's at one corner into a straight, then absolutely, right? If it's a, a four corner crit and you just hit one corner and now it's straight, awesome. If it's a twisty alpine descent, then you want to set yourself up for that next corner and repeat the process. And so I think that's this is where this technical skill comes in, in that you depending on the corner, the f- if there's a series of corners or a series of curves, hitting the inside, outside, inside, outside for one may not set you up in the optimal place for the next corner. Yep. So then it's this compromise, right? Like, well, I'm going to go, you know, three quarters to the outside on the exit of this turn so I can be set up better 
for this next corner. And I think that's really where the skill in descending comes in is learning how to gauge that and how to make that compromise skillfully and optimally such that you reduce any loss in speed. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, you're basically making the argument that for a single corner, most of us could hit it pretty hard and not lose a lot of time. Mm -hmm. The trick is the, the 2x combo, the 3x combo. Once you have to do three or four corners in a row, lining up each of them and you know if you lose one mile per hour per corner you've you've lost 10 seconds on your competitor right uh -huh. so the idea is how do we string these together efficiently and you know I, you see top descenders they're so smooth and just the way they hit the lines it all seems to come together really well someone who's um, not quite as technically gifted you can tell it's there they sort of awkwardly handle the corners yeah i think that's really the the challenge right is like okay I have this one corner, right? Whatever. It's a 45 degree left-hand bend. You can pretty well trace out, you know, the path that you need to take that's optimal for that. And I think from a practice standpoint, that's where you need to start is in a, an isolated corner situation. Um, I think preferably you'd give yourself the benefit of a corner that's banked the direction that you mm -hmm. want to go. So the, the ground is forcing you that way a little bit. Um, you know, you can, you can set up in a parking lot with cones and practice it. So you're at a little disadvantage. You can't take that quite as fast. Um, and certainly don't set yourself up on an off-camber corner for practice right away as the first thing. Because um, that's a whole different ball of wax. And usually on the road, that's not the case. Right? Usually the traffic engineers were kind enough to give us bank corners to keep yep. our cars on the road and keep our bikes on the road. Um, but I think that's the first piece is mastering, find the apex and being able to identify that path from outside to apex to outside again. Yep. And then like... And just being able to do that cold, just all every time, just hit it, hit it, hit it for a single corner. Yeah, so I used to play a lot of racing games when I was younger. And I, I remember one game specifically, you could turn on a function where you it was a blue, um, like there were a bunch of chevrons along this blue strip and mm -hmm. it, was, it was the racing line. And so you could turn on this setting to turn on the racing line. And I sort of in my head now when I take corners, I imagine that racing line um, existing on the road mm -hmm. in front of me so i i think that's what you mean by tracing it out is almost when you visualize the corner you can imagine this line of optimal path that is sort of the smoothest way to get through it you get a lot better at that as you descend more but you you see you almost visualize this optimal path and mm -hmm. you just put your bike on it and um i think that for beginners i because i've had some experience with some of the newer riders in my club and one of the biggest things is, like you said, getting the um, getting the path correct. I think that a lot of them are afraid to use the whole road. Mm -hmm. um, okay, don't cross the double yellow. That's the... <laughs> and, you know, like, depending on the road you're on and the time of day and such, like, maybe give yourself a little wiggle room on the double yellow. Yeah, so, uh, and, well, we have rumble strips around here, so yeah. um, you probably don't even want to get near those. But, um, yeah, you see some riders who, you know, they... They, they, I mean, I think what you, what you want to say is they ride like they're driving a car, right? Like if you're in a car, you take up most of the lane and therefore your, your best line is kind of down the center. Yep. But if you're on a bike, you don't take up the whole lane and you've got all this lateral movement that you can take advantage of to really straighten out your, the lines and optimize how you're cornering. Yeah. So like on a straight piece of road, you, you know, if there's no shoulder, you're probably sitting in the right wheel well which is sort of the 
the um, the well in the road that's the right tire would sit in. Normally, mm-hmm. you ride your bike there, and um, so people when they descend and they're new to descending, they just stay in the right wheel well, and they're mm-hmm. basically trying to descend on a what two foot wide piece of pavement Mm -hmm. and when in reality a normal lane is what eight feet eight eight Um, or nine feet yeah so to using the whole road and you know if you're descending and it's a decent descent and you're not too bad at it you're not going to have a lineup of cars behind you um there's always going to be someone in a uh, (coughs) prius who is going (laughs) going to hold everyone up uh, a bit more than you are so uh, don't worry about you know people trying to pass you they really shouldn't be passing you if it's a fairly technical descent anyway um, but yeah, you should use the whole road. That's that's a big thing that new people don't really do. And the other thing that they don't do that I think is less intuitive is actually pushing on the outside pedal. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe we've talked about this before. Maybe it's obvious, but um, you should have your inside foot at 12 o'clock. Yes. So you should, you should, when you're cornering, your inside pedal should be at the top of the pedal stroke. So the point of this is if it's at six o'clock, you can scrape it. And basically it's a pivot point on the road and your rear wheel uh, picks up and pivots around it. And then, you know, you're going in this direction and your bike's not facing that direction in you. It's, it's yeah, it's bad news. And it at a reasonably low lean angle, like you, this is not crazy like MotoGP lean angle that you're talking about here. This is like if you're at six o'clock and you go through a reasonable corner at reasonable pace, yeah you're gonna scrape your pedal so um you'll see a lot of veteran riders it's just it becomes intuitive eventually that i'm turning left left foot goes to the top Mm -hmm. and one way to get into it if if it's sort of unintuitive is actually to imagine you're a moto gp rider and sort of take these corners like uh you know i guess i don't know any of the moto gp uh, (laughs) riders but you know really imagine you're like really leaning into it you don't have to actually lean that far but you always see these moto guys like pick that inside knee up and Mm -hmm. um really bring it in so the but so part of that is getting the pedal up and um, so there's some dispute about the knee in or knee out, but I want to hold on to that for now. Um, <laughs> but the the main reason you have the knee up is actually to put weight on the outside pedal. So if you think about the way that, um, let's see, how can we put this? This is like another high school physics um, sort of thing. But you know, if you look at a front on ang- a, f- a front on view of the rider, and they're vertical. Mm-hmm. The normal force out of the ground is upwards. Mm-hmm. The weight of the rider is straight downwards. And when they lean, the center of mass, which is where the you know the force of gravity is coming from, is no longer directly over the two tires. Right, and so, which is roughly your belly button on your bike, just for more yeah. more or less, it approximates to that. So, if you're leaning your bike, the center of mass is no longer over the two things touching the ground. Mm-hmm. So. In a normal situation, like a plate on uh, a countertop, if the center of mass is over the edge of the table, the plate's going to fall over. That's how you know if something's going to balance, basically, is whether the center of mass has something directly under it. Yep. Now, So so this is true of a a flat road. Yes. So It gets a little more interesting when you have a bank. Right. So the way the normal force works is it's normal to the road. So... Um, when you have a banked road, the normal force will come out at an angle. Um, but, you know, assuming we have a flat road, the when your bike is leaned, say you're leaning off to the right, your body is going to want to fall to the right side. Mm-hmm. And 
there is some friction force in the tires preventing that. But what you can do is you can push on the left side of the bike and basically you're taking that that weight the you know that your center of mass you're taking that away from the right side by increasing the force on the left side of the bike mm-hmm. to sort of flip it back up to the middle and you know it's this uh, dynamic equilibrium between the weight of your body and the lean and the weight of your foot pushing down well it's you know your quad really yep. flexing into that the left side of the bike and this dynamic equilibrium is what keeps you in that position and um you know, we talked about how over, you know, when you, when the demand for friction is higher than what the tires can handle, then that's when you slip out. But actually that's not a static number that changes Mm -hmm. based on your technique and your form. And this is one of those things that when you press on the left pedal, it actually increases the amount of force that the tires can handle. Mm -hmm. So, um, you see a lot of people like, um, you know, Peter Sagan, when he had that amazing Tour de France stage, when everyone was like, this is peak descending. And he used every inch of every corner of the road to try and catch. I forget who he was chasing down, but um, I'm sure you can Google this. Uh, This is like every Peter Sagan descending montage has at least a few clips from here. But he leaned his bike such an incredible amount. And that was because you could just see how much power he was putting into that outside pedal to keep the bike upright and not keep you know keep him from slipping out and that was just such a great example of like yeah that's really good technique and um it takes some balance it definitely takes some practice but it gives you so much more confidence in the corner when you put weight on that outside foot yeah well the the physics support it right yeah it's changing the the distribution the way it's getting it closer over your tires the forces are closer over so to be centered over your tires which is sort of the the starting situation right Mm mm-hmm so, so you, I mean, you're, you're decreasing the friction force vector, you know, yep. by bringing the effective center of mass, you know, yep. closer. Yep. But, um, I think that's like a big thing that a lot of newer riders won't do. You see them, they're very like limp on the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, this dynamic engagement of the body. It's not, in the it's not active descending. It's very passive. Yeah. It's like sort of the bike is doing its thing and. Um, you know, this is the same as, you know, you shouldn't really be turning your handlebars too much to descend. You should mm-hmm. be leaning with the hips and um, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, pushing. I don't know. I didn't even know what it, you know, how to say it, but sort of um, guiding it with your hips. is Yeah. Where the yeah I mean, you should be really, I mean, I think about like you're really steering your bike from your hips. Like where your, where your hips go is where your bike is going to go. I mean, you can, you can screw that up with your hands, but your hands really should be following more or less um right they're kind of guiding and gently but not forcefully guiding it unless you know things get a little little crazy a little sideways so yeah i think that um a lot of new riders you see them a lot of weight is in the saddle not much is going on with their legs and they sort of just let the bike uh, go down the road whereas you Mm -hmm. see people who are really really trying to hit the corners hard they're really taking an active role in their descending they're putting a lot of weight on the outside pedal they're making sure the handlebars are going in the right direction they're leaning with their hips they're you know there's a lot more active work going on just like shameless plug for mountain biking here but like i i definitely see this too with beginning mountain bike riders like they'll be descending sitting on the saddle and then like to me that's so painful like just get off the seat because your bike has suspension and it wants to absorb that. And you have legs that can act as suspension to help you absorb the imperfections in the trail and like be an active descender versus a, a passive descender. And that's like a classic, classic example of a newer rider. Like, Oh, I'm just going to go down the hill in my saddle. I'm like, no, I'm like, 
stand up, get, you know, get an athletic position, be active and a little different on the road bike. You don't get in that same stance, but yeah, you want to be active on the bike. You're not, you know, you're not the passenger on a ride. You're, you're the driver, you're, you're in control and you need to be assertive as you're descending. Yep. And so, um, let's talk about mountain biking a little bit because I do think that mountain biking is a great place to start if you want to get good at um, descending. So what can a roadie, you know, assuming uh, this is intended for roadie descending, um, what can a roadie learn from mountain bikers and uh, what do mountain bikers do better as descenders than roadies? You know, I think with mountain biking, a lot of it has to do with becoming comfortable with uncertainty is part of it because right? you don't have constant traction. It's, it's highly variable. Um, I think that's, that's one piece. I think leaning the bike is very important in mountain biking, um, as you're sort of adjusting. And you, if you look at a mountain bike tire, you'll see a lot of times the, the shoulder knobs are tall they're meant for corner and they're meant for you to lean that bike over. And that's where you get the traction when you're cornering. And sometimes there's even a little, uh, a little space in between the, the center tread and the, the shoulder. And that's, that's not helpful for you. Okay, there's not a whole lot of traction there, but if you start to lean, you commit, that's where your tire really grips. So I think you get that, that leaning aspect and that sort of being active and assertive. Um, and I think you also, I think tra- trails are just more sinuous than roads are. So you, you learn this skill of, you know, combining the turns together, right? And where do you, where do you compromise? Uh, and, you know, okay, I'm not gonna hit the apex there because that's gonna set me up poorly for the next turn. I think you, you learn that. I think you just get more reps with that because look, I'm going down a trail that has, you know, there's one trail that I ride frequently. It has like 20 switchbacks on it. And it's like, well, there's no, there's no, and it's maybe a quarter, third of a mile long. There's nowhere on a road that I'm going to get that concentrated to practice cornering. Right. right. And I can ride down it and I can ride back up it. I can do, you know, five times in half hour or less and just really hone that skill. So I think that's one of the things that you just get so much practice. It's so, so much richer uh, with opportunities to combine turns together and sort of learn and feel out um, how to optimize, you know, connecting and, and finding the right line. Yeah. So on the topic of combining corners, I think that one thing that I had to learn slowly was, um, so, you know, we all know the S-bend, the chicane. Mm-hmm. Um, so... One thing that is really interesting and really fast is diving into a corner, heavy, you know, like a hard corner, and then letting the bike almost like flip underneath of you to the other direction. Mm-hmm. So say say you're leaning into the left, and as you come out of the corner, sort of being weightless on top of the bike and mm-hmm. letting it jump all the way to the right side. And, um, you know, most people, I think when they start with chicanes, they, it's, it's a left turn, then it's a right turn. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's its own thing where you, you hit this left turn hard, and then you let the bike float over to the right side, and then you're already in the right position, and you, you just stick the right corner. And uh, one drill for that is on something like a false flat. I actually saw, uh, I, think I, I think this was Peter Sagan again on one of his videos, but basically he was on like a, I think his was more than a false flat, but I think uh, us mortals should um, use a false flat but basically you you go all the way from the yellow line mm-hmm. to the edge of the road and back and forth and mm-hmm. you 
flip your bike um, underneath of you back and forth. And so you're, you, you're making an S down mm-hmm. the road and it's just this one giant continuous, um, you know, swirl. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good way of learning how to like let the bike jump underneath of you and, and get that control. Yeah. And I think that's, that's key. And I think the other piece that, you know, I think we may end up here, but it's just finding somebody that's faster than you and observing perhaps from a safe distance to start, but, you know, or trying, trying to follow them as long as you can down a, you know, a technical descent, just watching, watching what they do, you know, f- trying to follow their line and, you know, within reason, right? Every, everybody's were different size, different bike. My line's different than your line a little bit, but I think it gives you a good feel for like, okay, here's how he or she does it, right? Here's, here's how they're lining up for that corner. I think a lot of times, I, I've certainly seen this with myself in mountain biking is there'll be a, a section of trail that's, that's challenging me or is technical. And I'm like, oh, I can't quite figure this out or I, I'm not smooth through it. And then if I get the opportunity to ride with somebody else, that's a little better. It's like, oh, okay. I see, I see that I hadn't even, I hadn't considered that as an option, right? I hadn't, I hadn't thought to, to start out that high and then come across that way. Like that didn't, mm-hmm. that didn't occur to me. So sometimes just riding with somebody faster can be really an eye opening experience. And it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I once you see somebody do it, it's almost like, oh, why didn't I think about that? Why didn't I? Why didn't I see that opportunity to right. make my bike do that thing? Yeah, I have one of one of my Cat One friends said, I didn't realize how hard you could corner until I went to a UCI race. And um, you know, when you when you're in a tight pack, you don't get to choose how hard you corner. You just corner as hard as everyone else. And um, I think that a lot of people who can't corner as well, it's sort of self imposed. If if you, unless, you know, this is the two-time mountain bike world champion that you're trying to follow down the descent, it's likely that whatever this, uh, you know, better rider is doing, you're capable of doing that um, unless they're, you know, literally a pro. Um, you can, I, I think that you, you know, you're almost afraid. Mm-hmm. And when you see this person in front of you and you say, oh, they committed that hard. Why can't I? And I, I think that's one big thing is like, yeah, unless they're at the very top level, why can't I is a good question with descending. And if they hit that corner hard, I'm sure you can too. Mm-hmm. And and you just have to go for it. And a lot of times you'll almost surprise yourself with, uh, oh, that like, yeah, it was a weird sensation. Or like, yeah, the, you, you know, sometimes especially uh, one good example of this is like on the track when, you know, my first finishing sprint in a UCI race, I, I mean, we had to have hit, been going over 40. And, you know, the amount of G-forces that you feel as you're going around that last bank is such a strange sensation to, like, get sucked into the, you know, into the turn. And, you know, that's the first time that you're like, well, that was really weird, but I survived and I'm fine and I I can do it again. It's not a problem. And I think descending is very similar in, like, whoa, that was, like, a weird sensation and Mm -hmm. that was really fast, but I stuck it and I wasn't, you know, I didn't kind of slip and barely make it or anything like that it was fine and you know this is the first time i've done that but it was okay and you know i'll do it again yeah i think it's, it absolutely builds confidence i think like i said seeing people do it then experiencing it yourself and like oh yeah i didn't i didn't know my bike could do that i thought the edge was x and now i know that it's you know x plus five percent or maybe it's plus seven percent i just didn't go there yet but for sure it's x plus five percent because i just tested that and i i found out that is in fact true um, you know, and obviously it's, uh, this is the part where experience and practice comes in is like, okay, well it's X plus 5% in that corner on that day. Yeah. 
but also, you know, remember that it may not be X plus 5% in that other corner tomorrow because it's wet or your tire pressure is 5 PSI different or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different factors out there. So I think that's the other part that good descenders have is they have this ability to basically like adjust the volume knob on their descending depending on the conditions and almost instantaneously, right? Like, oh, it's dry right now. I just started raining. Okay, I know I need to dial it back, you know, this much and I can hit these corners and I'm good. Whereas I think less experienced riders are like, oh, it's raining. Oh boy, like I got to dial it back 50%. Like, no, not, not really. You got to dial it back a little bit, but no, it's not that much, right? And so there's a big disconnect between what, you know, and perception of what you can do and what you actually are willing to commit to when conditions start to change. And so got you got to practice it. You got to go out and ride in the rain when the road is wet, when the road is hot, like all those different things to, to understand what your bike can do. Yeah. I think part of this is almost beyond the scope of the podcast. Um, a lot of it is go try wet, mm-hmm. go try hot. Um, a lot of it, a lot of these really, really incredible descenders are just sort of in their own league and sure. you kind of have to leave them there. But I would say a lot of times in something like a crit, it's a wet crit. Your first three laps, each corner is a little bit harder until you get to the point where you're like, nah, I think this is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, you never, you know, obviously you don't go too far and that because, you know, your race is maybe over or you have a giant, you know, road rash now, but well, if it's wet, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you just have a torn jersey, but you know, you, you slowly build up the first couple laps and you say, okay, I'm comfortable here. This is, you know, more than competent for my needs for this race. And, um, you'll also see that, um, the other thing I was thinking of was Vincenzo Nibali when he bunny hopped the, uh, the, the runoff on one of the descents mm-hmm. and, you know, his almost, uh, over the top emphasis on maintaining the quality of his tires by not letting them get wet at all. Um, is something that you know a top descender really something that's almost like the minute that you know maybe we wouldn't focus on but is something very important to like a very good descender yeah i guess the other thing we haven't really talked about is braking um, and we we touched on it okay well you should break before the corner you should be done with that before you enter the corner um, but i think we should get a little bit more into the the why and the how that you you want to manage that so piece of the puzzle we talked about earlier is the friction right like there's only so much friction that your tires can manage. And if you get past that break, then braking is one of those things that may put you past that. I think the other part is front brake versus rear brake. Uh, I tend to think of my front brake as a, I need to slow down a lot and I'm in a straight line. Like my bike is vertical basically. And that's going to like, that's my big correction. And then my rear brake is the small correction and the, Oh crap. I missed. If I absolutely have to like slow down this corner so I don't overshoot, that's happening on the rear. But I'm not t- like once I start corner, once I start leaning, hands off front brake. Like do not do not touch because mm-hmm. it, it tends to want to put your bike back upright, which is exactly the last thing you want. So that's from uh, like more high school physics of like if you have a, a the rotational momentum of a wheel and then you um, you break it and it has to do with the direction of the torque and um, you know. I guess this was like the hardest concept in, in high school physics was um, like rotational momentum. But when you change the rotational momentum, it causes a torque on the wheel. And uh, so, oh, I mean, then it's like you spin your wheel and you yeah. t- try to turn it and a different. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we've all done that experiment where, you know, you wind up a wheel and then you grab it by the axle and try and move it around and um, the, the conservation of that rotational momentum. Yeah. So 
if you're gonna yeah like front brake big adjustment rear brake small adjustment and if you absolutely have to change something in a corner that's a rear brake job that's yeah. not a that is not so, a front brake job you know the, the big thing like we said before was don't brake while you're leaning yep. and if so okay you want to be the speed you're going to hit the corner before you get to the corner right if you have to if you really messed it up you're coming in way too hot you, you thought it was a 90 degree and it's a 180 how do you get out of it um basically you you have to straighten up and you got to crank the snot out of your brakes um so you know if you miss the corner and um you know oh i could just maybe touch my brakes a bit while i'm still leaning you really shouldn't do that because um you could like high side you can low side you can do all kinds of crazy stuff so if you really actually missed it you got to straighten up the bike and then really get on top of the brakes and hopefully you can brake before you know the edge of the road and you'll see you'll see top pros do this right if they miss they don't usually slide they usually straighten out the bike and if there's a if there's a path they can run out they usually run out off the side of the road mm-hmm. right like there's not sometimes they slide but if it like if, if they clearly overcook the corner like i was thinking i can't remember which stage it was this year in the tour but like one of the guys just missed the corner i think like maybe the science wasn't clear for him or whatever it was just tired and he he didn't try to make it he realized that he was through and just like slammed on the brakes as hard as he could but he was going in a straight line through the corner and then yep. you know righted everything and got got back on with the racing yeah i mean at five miles an hour you can do like a, a turn on a dime so mm-hmm. if you hit the corner at 20 and it's a 15 corner just straighten up get down to five and then you know stay on the road and, and get back yep. up to speed you just lost 10 seconds but you're you know you're, you're still you're, in you're the upright race. yeah you still <laughs> yeah. you still have a chance you haven't totally taken yourself out of contention mm-hmm. at that point and so the only other thing i have for braking is um well, this is different with hydraulic brakes. So I've, I had rim brakes for a very long time and I got pretty good at the feel of rim brakes. And then when I bought a bike with hydraulic brakes, it, it almost felt like cheating. Um, you could sort of brake whenever you wanted, you know, it would always catch. It would always, it was just sort of, there was almost no finesse to it. It was sort of like, I want to be this speed. And then you just become, you know, you just go to that speed and then you're done. Whereas I think if you're on a rim brake bike, it's a little more complicated. You almost have to, you have to like let the brakes catch and then you have to let go of them again, like half let go of them and then let it catch again. And then that only then can you start to actuate to the actual brake intensity you want. So it's almost like this, it's definitely a more complicated process and it involves a little more concentration and, and exact control. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you're lucky enough to have hydraulic brakes, whether a mountain bike or a road bike, it's, you know, you, the same principles of, um, you know, don't, don't over slam the front brake because you're going to go over the front, but you know, if you have rim brakes, you really got to practice a bit more and learn, you know, the relationship between your wheels and your brakes and everything like that. And, you know, it's a lot more important to keep the pads clean, all those things, hydraulic brakes, um, just sort of, it's important to keep the pads clean there too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, as a roadie, it's pretty hard to keep, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to get dirty disc brake rotors. I had some issues with dirty rim brake uh, pads, though, on the road bike. Just just be careful when you're lubing your chain, you know, like not overzealous and flinging lube all over the place because that'll, that'll ruin disc brake pads in an instant. Yep. So Or bleeding if you happen to bleed your own brakes. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't <laughs> think you should bleed your own brakes, but, uh, you know, we can, we can all have our own opinions on this. But I, well, because I, I had a, um, an issue with my brakes and um, 
I didn't want to mess with it myself, but also the mechanics weren't the best at handling it either. But yeah, I, I guess I come from riding a lot of uh, mountain bike hydraulic brakes. I've been working on those for a long time, so bleeding a, yeah. a road brake is. Did you ever bleed in the shop when you worked there? Uh, other than my own, no. Okay, I've, I've I've had enough different pairs of brakes that yep. I feel pretty good, pretty good about it. So yeah, thinking <clears throat> I guess thinking about hydraulic brakes. I mean, just the basic braking principles of. Um, you know, don't overcook the front brake. Um, I guess maybe you do have to basically, you know, you want to let them catch and then from there, then you can actuate the actual intensity of them, but, um, you know, never instantaneously grab them. You can sometimes get lock up. Sometimes it's good to, if you're new to go in a parking lot and actually just crank the snot out of your rear brake Let's lock it up and let, let yourself slide for a second. It'll, you know, get, put a little spot on your tires. It should, um, run out like, um, smooth out pretty quickly, but um, it just like teaches you, oh, that's what a rear brake lock is. And um, I've had times when in a race, like someone crashes in front of me and you just crank your brakes. I've had it lock and then realize it locked and then unlocked it and then broke and mm-hmm. you know not crashed. And it was because I had the experience in a parking lot of, oh, that's a, that's, it. Um, that's a lock. And it was subconscious of, oh, that's a lock, let go and recatch. And yep. so that was pretty cool to be able to do that. I, th- I think that's really important for mm. your development. I think that's a key point though, right? Is if your brake is locked, it's not doing a really good job of slowing you down. Right. So right. the, just the rubber rubbing against the road, that friction, the amount of energy absorption is not nearly as good as the, the direct contact of the brakes on the moving wheel. Yep. So yeah, you want to, if you can avoid it, you want to have your, you want to get up to that, like, your maximum deceleration comes right at, up to that point where you're about to lock up the brake and that's you know so you i think that that's the nice thing about the hydraulics right is you can really fine-tune that point and you can get pretty good with it whereas i think the rim the rim brakes are, are they're not binary but they're, they definitely feel closer to binary when you compare the two yeah you have to almost like um you know, you like cover your eyes, you throw a dart at the wall, and then you check where the dart is. And then, um, you know, you adjust from there. I think that's more how rim brakes are. Whereas hydraulic brakes, um, it feels like you can just hit that spot a lot easier. And then you just, you know, you just, you're just there and then you, you know, fix it from there. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was going to say is if you do lock up your front brake, you're, you're on the ground. So, um, yeah, pretty much. Don't try to, you know, yes, practice, feel what it's like to lock up your rear brake. Don't, don't figure out what, what happens when your front brake locks yeah, up. You don't, you don't want to get there. And I think the other thing with this whole panic, uh, panic crashing, breaking stuff is um, hopefully, I've, I've never really had a problem with this, but hopefully you have this innate sense to balance the brakes when you're doing this emergency stop. And sometimes it is good to practice emergency stops uh, beforehand, but some people who are less experienced will just like crank the snot out of the front brake and then they flip over the front and into the crash that they're trying to avoid. And um, eventually you get to this point where you, it's, you know, it's innate that you have this balance and um, it becomes this sort of uh, semi-conscious like augmentation of the brakes to, you know, keep everything balanced out. I do think, to your point, though, it is worth just going to a parking lot and getting up to speed and braking really hard just so you have some concept of what the distance is for you to Mm -hmm. stop. Just some, like, oh, yeah, it takes me 25 feet or whatever. Uh, Just so you some idea. You don't even need a number. It's just this, like, yeah, it's just this visual representation of, like, this is how far it takes my bike to slow down from 
25 miles an hour or or whatever just so you know and that that can help you sort of calibrate to like oh shit i need to brake really hard or okay i got i got some space i can get on my brakes a bit but i'll slow down in plenty of time before i hit that so when it comes to descending and i'm okay in I would say that in competition, descending is a lot different than in practice, even if you're practicing for competition. Um, this is sort of the same as, you know, in training, you'd never do threshold for, you know, the full length of time, you know, a, a full hour you would do maybe three by twenties, you know, you'd probably do 95% of threshold. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even do a full threshold. It's the same thing with descending. You don't do full, full gas descending uh, in training, but I would even argue that except in extreme situations in a race you don't go a hundred percent you always leave a little a little margin for error unless it's like a very special situation that you need to like push it all the way to the edge right so i think that um on this topic the in terms of like my mindset when i'm breaking especially in something like um a competition setting I think that what I do is I I tend to break early. So my mind says to myself, you know, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then when it's when it's time, I say now, basically in my head mm-hmm. and and then you're really trying to break as hard as possible, right? So, you know, back to our velocity vector, you want to start breaking as late as possible so that velocity vector stays as high as possible mm-hmm. for as long as possible. You get more, you know, distance for a given amount of time if you do that. So, you want to break at the very last second. And part of that is almost breaking as hard as you can. Yep. Because if you don't break as hard as you can, you have to start breaking earlier in order to reach the same speed. So um, a lot of times descenders will, you know, okay, not yet, not yet, yet. Okay, now. And then the other thing is breaking too long. So you have to tell yourself actively, okay, that's enough. That's like, it's okay. Right. Like, you know, let go now. Um, because it's so natural to be like, well, we could just take a little bit more off. You know, well, that'll make sure we get through the corner. And so fighting, I think there's this subconscious urge for safety and you have to sort of fight yourself. And, you know, how do you do that? That You know, I just sort of this is how I do it is talking to myself and like, not yet, not yet. OK, now, now. OK, OK, you're good. And sort of this all happens, you know, within a two second interval. Um, but you, you sort of have to figure out how to do this yourself. I think it's really natural to um say, well, I could just slow down a bit more or, well, I could just break a bit earlier. And um, everyone has their own technique to overcome that. Yeah, I, mean, I think for me, I try to spot something as I'm going through a point like, okay, there's whatever, a tree on the side or there's a, a traffic dot or whatever it is. And like, I want to break. I think I want to start my breaking right there. Right? Hmm. Like I give myself a visual, try like, and, you know, right, based on experience of how long it takes to slow down and the corner and all, all those factors. Dragging myself a visual if I if I have the luxury of looking down the road or looking down the trail and it's like, okay, I'm coming to that corner. I want to start decelerating at that route right there, or whatever whatever visual thing I have, and I'll try to. That's that's the game I play. Oh, that's really interesting. Just something on the something on the trail or road to sort of give myself an anchor of when Mm -hmm. I want to do that action. So on that topic, I think um, one thing for like individual pursuiters is. You know, this is on the track. It's a 4K time trial. You're in your TT bars. And, um, you know, of course, you want to ride the black line, which is the official length of the 4K. So rather than riding in the sprinter's lane, which makes your distance a little bit longer, you want to ride right on the black line. But 
it's actually hard for cyclists to ride directly on a line. And uh, one thing that a lot of riders do is they look almost straight down. Like they look at their front wheel looking at the black line. And actually that's almost the worst thing you can do to stay on a line. Um, you actually want to look through the corner. You want to look at the line like 20 feet or 30 feet ahead of mm -hmm. you. And this is the same thing for descending. So you'll see a lot of good descenders. They're looking like they're already looking at the straightaway in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's almost I, I, I don't know how our brains work, but um, almost as if when you are looking too close, you it's so easy to overcompensate because you're looking at it's like the um, like, it's like the magnifying. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a magnifying glass. And, you know, you you zoom in on this little tiny line. And then anytime the magnifying glass moves a little bit, it's such an extreme motion. But you sort of zoom zoom out and then you move the camera a little bit. and It's not quite as um, extreme. Yeah. I mean, the, the advice or the tip always to new mountain bikers, especially when you get on a, a single track that's got, you know, maybe a cliff or something on the edge that you don't want to go over is, well, so one, look down the trail, but two, look where you want to go. Right? Don't look at the cliff that you don't want to fall over because you're definitely going to start to gravitate towards that. Look where you want to go. So look, look down the trail. I think the other piece of it is like, I don't know, this is maybe me you know, taking all the lessons I've learned over time is like, once I sort of process the corner, like, okay, this is a 45 degree left-hand bend and I need to lean over this far to do that. And this is like all subconscious level stuff. Then it's like my body can handle that. It's like I, I read the situation, my brain calculated the necessary inputs, and then I, I look down like, okay, well, what's, what's coming up after that thing? And then I just do the thing, right? I just lean the bike and it happens and now I can think about the next thing. It's like yeah. I'm always thinking almost like one step ahead. Like process the corner. Okay, great. Yep, I have to break this much. I lean that much. And uh, it's straight. Now deal with that. Now calculate for that. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, we talked about sort of the, you have this subconscious training of your body. And um, you know, in our sleep episode, we talked about how sleep is important to reinforce those patterns. But if you have a corner that's very similar to a corner you're comfortable with, you have these subconscious patterns that just happen. And mm -hmm. your conscious brain can then think on the next step in the descent. So that's a great example of that. Yeah, and that's that's where that practice comes in, and I always liken it to building a database, right? And as you as you practice, as you ride more, and you put in that dedicated practice, like you're just building out this huge database of hundreds or thousands of corners that you've gone through, and you know different conditions and different lean angles and all those things, so that when you see a new corner, there's 20 similar corners that you've been through at different speeds, and you can sort of just use that subconscious and calculate and say, yeah, this is about right and, mm -hmm. and go for it. And I think that's the difference with the really great descenders, right? Is they have the, yeah, this is about right from a really big database. And they're also very comfortable with what, what is the upper bound of what my bike can do. And they, they have very fine gradations of what that is. Whereas I think, you know, you or me, we, where our gradation might be 3% or 5% where, uh, a Sagan or Alaphilippe might be a 1% or a one half percent gradation of what they're trying to do with, compared to what their bike's capable of doing. Yeah. And I think also if you do have the opportunity to, you know, you're saying if you have a brand new descent and you have all these database and your brain sort of says, well, that seems a lot like this descent I do every other weekend as part of my training. 
and you say, well, I know about how I can hit it. This is about the same conditions, you know. But I think if you have done a descent before, it's also really nice. Like, you know, there, there aren't too many mountainous uh, road races, but for the ones there are, you know, one year you do it, you don't really, you've never seen this road before because it's, it's a 60 mile race. And, you know, how, how can I pre-ride the whole 60 mile course? Um, but, you know, once you do a corner once and, you know, say you broke because you thought it was a breaking corner and you come out of the, out, you know, the outside of it and you're like, oh, that was not a breaking corner. Every other time you hit that corner, you know you can go full gas through it. And that confidence and the repeatability of the descents is also something that comes with time. I think that a lot of my training routes, I know, you know, this is a breaking corner. This is a non-breaking corner. This looks like a breaking corner, but it's a non-breaking corner. Mm-hmm. And um, those sort of skills, if, if someone's a very good descender or, wow, how did you do that so well? It's probably part of their training routine because um, a lot of the a lot of the um, fine gradations unless you're a pro actually come from the repeatability of of a particular course sure you you've written down that descent 250 times and therefore you're yeah you you know every inch of the road mm-hmm. until they repave it yeah and i think that if, if you are new it is good to descend on the same course because um, learning about a corner the first time and trying to practice your leaning and weighting the outside um pedal and all these other things it can start to add up and be really cognitively overwhelming so if you can descend on the same descent that has a nice little variety of options you know some braking some non-braking some you know tight some loose um, some fast some slow i think if you if you can find a course like that do it over and over again and um, that'll just increase your database and also not you know it won't be too intense because there, there won't be too many new things thrown at you at once yeah, and I think it's it's totally fair. I, I do this with mountain biking is to go out and I'm going to ride, but there's only maybe a section of trail that I'm really going to focus on, right? Like I'm going to focus on this quarter mile section of trail today, and that's where I'm going to do my focus descending and practice. The rest of the ride I'm going to do, the other things I need to do, whatever intervals, and I'm going to ride and I'm going to enjoy it, but there's only one section I'm going to really focus and practice on these corners, Right, and work on this particular skill. Oh, these are off camp, or this is particularly rocky, or, or whatever. And the same, I think, can extend to being on the roads. I mean, you can imagine going down 84. It's a long descent with a lot of corners. Pick half a dozen of them that you want to work on in a given day and, and really focus on those because I think it would be overwhelming as, as a beginner or to really f- be focused for that long on all these little technical aspects of doing each of the corners really well i think you would you lose your focus and i think you potentially lose the value of the practice yep so uh yeah that's descending um get better at it because uh we're not trying to wait for you at the bottom of the descents in our group rides and yes do keep the rubber side down yeah the the quick high school physics lessons i i think part of it is um you know there is a certain amount of uh I, I don't know, machismo in being able to descend well, or you see someone in your group ride like, whoa, they just smashed that descent. That's really cool. I want to do that. Or there's a certain amount of, I feel bad that I'm always the last one down or things like that. I think that one, maybe don't read into that as much. It's not really that big of a deal to wait for 30 seconds or to not pedal for 30 seconds for the person to catch up. But also um, it can be really enjoyable and really satisfying to learn to descend and to get good at it. And mm-hmm. um, it's really is this unique sensation of floating down the hill. I mean, downhillers, downhill mountain bikers, they only do that. 
you know um, there you know there are some people in the sport who only descend so there's clearly something enjoyable about it and I hope that you learn to descend I hope you get excited about it and I hope you become really competent and you can enjoy that aspect of this awesome sport yeah I mean I think there's just so much so much growth opportunity with that like you could you can probably always go a little bit faster if you're a mere mortal um, right yeah. the the elites okay they may have approached that but I think for the rest of us this is something where we can continuously improve um, our, our skills. Yep. So on that, as we said, keep the rubber side down and, and we'll uh, see, we'll see you next time. And as we always say, if you, you enjoy it, um, please share with friends or colleagues, other writers and leave us a review.